Welcome to It's Just My Thoughts, the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of It's Just My Thoughts, the podcast. It's Mika here. Currently uh, in good old North Carolina, we're experiencing a uh, heat surge. So just know that I have basically been on ready for anybody and everything. So, um, but other than that, you know, I really haven't had anything going on super special this week. Um, so let's just jump into uh Black excellence for the week. It's been so much, um, so much black magic. I feel like going on this week. Um, the two people that I wanted to point out, um, well, really, it's just one this week, but I also want to point out last night they did announce that uh, Mahershala Ali is playing Blade. Um, and I'm very excited about that, very hyped about it. And I love him, that's my actor bay. So shout outs to him. But uh, my black excellence this this week uh, goes to um, Blue Ivy. You know, um, this uh, Lion King soundtrack, I think, um, you know, I think she out here living, you know, and uh, everybody's been pretty receptive to everything. But, you know, um, even in the video that she was there with um, Beyonce, um, I thought she slayed. I just, I just think that it's beautiful seeing her grow up. She's growing into a beautiful little girl. I mean, and the fact that they're fostering her, you know, singing. And I and I think what I like about seeing Blue Ivy a lot uh, is that she's still very much a kid. And she seems to just be a happy child. Like, she's not, you know, where you feel like she's trying to be, you know, older than what she is. Or they treat her older. Like, she, they very much still treat her like a little girl. And um, they celebrate her. And you can tell they're pushing her into you know, naturally what she wants to do or, her, or helping her find her passions. So it's really nice to see. Um, it was great seeing her and Beyonce on the red carpet and I loved it. You know, um, anytime that you can uplift your kids in a positive way and um, start them on their passions and their journey early, do it, especially if you have the resources to do it. So my black excellence this week goes to um, Blue Ivy. So this moves on to, um, I don't know if you know, if you're aware, but July is Minority Mental Health Month. Um, so I think that's what I'm going to touch on for the rest of this episode. So last night I was watching um, Fix My Life. This episode was really crazy because I, I think all of the Fix My Life episodes um, usually give you some kind of feels or, you know, can be somewhat sad or whatever way it makes you feel. But um, for me, you know, this episode, um, it brought a lot of emotions, but it also brought questions into my mind and, and it actually conversations that I do actually have um at times you know in therapy especially when it's surrounded around abandonment issues um I don't really struggle with abandonment issues but that subject is very actually prevalent um in my present life but also uh when you meet people that maybe grew up in a single parent home or maybe they grew up where they're being supported or raised by another family member um, you know, sometimes you can see those abandonment issues. And so, you know, I like to kind of talk about it and have that conversation, um, to get more of a deeper understanding of, you know, what is that effect on a person? So the little girl on Fix My Life, she's 24 now, her mom had her when she was in prison. So when she was born, they gave her to her father at the time was 20, he was 22, um, I mean, if you just sit and think about that aspect, you know, a 22 year old male, uh, probably at that time wasn't probably the most mature, 
you know, he cried and spoke of how he did the best he could. You know, he didn't always know. He didn't always have all the money in the world to take care of her. And, you know, it was really, it was really hard for him, but he did the best, you know, the best that he could with, with what he knew, you know, knew what to do. Um, so at the time, the daughter spoke of how, you know, her father would have women in and out of her life and that, um, she could tell the women didn't really take much stock in being, um, like being a mom to her, you know, they would just act like they wanted to be a mom to her just, um, so they can be with a dad because they really wanted the dad, but she just can't kind of came with that. So because she was, she was angry, like they like basically the dad and his sister and his mom was spoke of like how she had just destructive behavior, even from when she was young. So they're just going, you know, on and on about how, you know, she's destructive, she's destructive and all the things wrong that she's done. And which she, she, she did a lot of stuff. Um, and I mean, I, and I, I can understand their feelings, but I think what they did was break down why it may be why she acts this way like what what may be the things that make her act this way and so with the um so with the dad um she was just saying that basically she wanted she wanted she basically wanted a relationship with him a deeper relationship with him and you know usually sometimes when you see and I even do it like when I see someone and they're destructive whether is, you know, being self-harm or is they have addiction issues or there's something going on. Like I always sit and wonder, well, what is their story? Because I always feel like that when, even when somebody has an anger issue behind anger, behind, you know, just the things that you're doing is always some kind of hurt somewhere. It's always something that's making you do these things that maybe you might not always be aware of or cognizant of, but it's always a story behind something, um, you know, that might need to be, you know, addressed and, and maybe get some healing from to try to, um, you know, move forward. So, um, so she spoke of when it came to her dad, you know, he had the women in and out. And how they didn't really want to be there. And so she became more and more self-destructive. And the core issue was that she never felt that anyone wanted her. Her mom was locked up and a drug addict. And her dad was a lot of times unavailable emotionally to her. So when she started acting out, he, um, over time, you know, he started distancing himself from her because he felt like he didn't really even know what to do with her. And he also had experienced trauma in his life because um, one of his other children had died. So he started distancing himself from her because he felt like, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know if she's even going to stay, you know, stay alive. Like, I feel like she's on a route of destruction where it's going to end her life. And so I think he was kind of went into self-preservation mode of himself not really being aware that he's kind of closing her out because he just didn't know really what to even do with her. So Ms. Vanzant came in and she spoke to the dad and, and his family. And she basically explained that, um, you know, the mom was locked up pregnant with the baby and she didn't want, um, 
you know, she didn't want the baby and she was just trying to get the experience over with. Not even also thinking about she got locked up when she was five months pregnant. So for the for another four months, she's in a hostile, crazy environment, you know, because she's in jail or prison. And so, um, you know, she was just explaining to them that no one ever considered how the child felt with that experience, nor with the questions of nor, you know, with the question of like, you know, once she started growing up, you know, they said that they said the behavior was starting around four or five. So, you know, no one ever considered the questions of, you know, well, where's my mom and why doesn't she want me? And I often wonder, you know, when, you know, you talk to some moms and they talk about their connection to their child while the baby, um, you know, is still in the body. Like some people, you know, some moms will talk to their children or play music and, you know, it's really important for them to have this connection, you know, even, you know, while like during the whole entire, you know, pregnancy, like start the connection and start that, you know, relationship with, with their child. And so I often wonder, like, do we ever consider what the child connection is to the mom and how that is altered when they, when the baby experiences trauma in the body? Um, you know, my therapist, we, we had a conversation about this and, um, kind of similar to this and we were talking about just traumas and you know she believes that you even as a baby um can know or carry the feelings of being unwanted from the beginning and especially when you consider drugs being involved or maybe even just you know negative thoughts and when it was explained to me and it was more to I'm giving you the condensed version but when it was explained to me I understood that aspect and, and as and oftentimes I don't think we consider as adults how we alter our children you know I spoke a lot about uh in one of these and I think episode one just about you know when I was growing up how you know a lot of um a lot of things with me now you know, and how I came out as an adult in my thought processes and um, how I handled communication and relationships was based a lot on, you know, what I saw as a kid and, you know, how um, I saw communication. You know, for example, my mom was a yeller, you know, I don't really know why she was a yeller. Um, and even now as an adult, um, you know, I guess she talks loudly, you know, um, and she yells, she still, she still yells. And it's not like where she's yelling, like I'm trying to like cussing you out, like trying to bring you down or something like that. Like she literally is just a yeller in general. Um, that was where it was different when I was a child, because, you know, if she's trying to rep reprimand you for something or, you know, that's her parenting you and she's yelling, you know, that was kind of how the only communication style I, I really, you know, saw you know, when my dad got upset with me, you know, he yelled, you know, the same. So it wasn't just necessarily just my, my mom, it's my dad too, but I live with my mom, uh, majority. So, so, you know, um, so for me and I hate it, you know, but when I become upset and maybe I'm not even like upset where I, I'm, you know, wanting to fight somebody or something like that, something crazy, but like just, you know, passionate about something or, you know, or really, uh, yeah, I can say passionate or, or, you know, like in, in a, in a intense moment, I should say, I'm a yeller, you know, and, and I actually, um, you know, I hate it, you know, honestly. And it's literally, uh, one of the biggest areas I've tried to strive to really work on. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of unlearn those behaviors, 
you know, because that was the only behaviors I had ever seen. And that was how, you know, I was raised. And a, a lot of times, you know, um, I take it more seriously now how I am as an adult and how I and how I want to convey myself to the world. And I take it really serious with like my nieces and nephews or, you know, um, all the kids in my life, really, you know, with, you know, how I come off to them. And I am a lot calmer in general, like, you know, as far as communicating and stuff like that, like as far as like with the kids. But from an adult standpoint, I also want to be on the same level to where, you know, when I find myself like in my personal relationships or like my, you know, relationship with my partner, like not being one of those people that, you know, when you get upset or they even say something that may be hurtful to you, the first thing you do, you know, you, you're now kind of in defense mode where you're yelling, you know, and it's not the easiest thing to do. It's not the easiest thing to unlearn behaviors that you've always had and that you've always seen. But that's actually an area that um, I definitely recognize that I, one, I recognize I don't like it. Two, I recognize that it can be problematic when you're trying to have healthy relationship with people. And three, it's an area that I don't want to pass on to my own child. And so that in itself makes it to where, you know, I definitely want to fix it. So with July being uh, Minority Mental Health Month, this leads me to my thought of the week. And that is how, how can we increase mental awareness in minority groups as well as mental health support? So the Minority Mental Health Month was designated for July in 2008 um, to bring awareness to the unique struggles that underrepresented groups face in regard to mental illness in the United States. Um, I actually have some facts here that I, that some of these I actually didn't know. Um, one in every five adults in America experience a mental illness. Nearly one in 25 adults in America live with a serious mental illness. And one half of all chronic mental illness begins by the age of 14, three quarters by the age of 24. And I, they also have a chart that has the prevalence of adult mental illness by race. So Hispanic adults living with a mental health condition is 16.3%. White adults living with a mental health condition is 19.3%. Black adults living with a mental health condition is 18.6%. Asian adults living with a mental health condition is 13.9%. And American Indian, Alaska Native adults living with a mental health condition is 28.3%. I was actually surprised by that, that ratio, um, I'm not sure why I was surprised, but I guess because you never really, I, I, we don't really talk about, um, I think every race and how mental illness, you know, um, can affect them individually. And I think also that is a conversation starter. Um, I don't know everything about, you know, mental illness and, um, but what I do know is, uh, I think it's important to bring more awareness to it and to also, uh, break some, some negative stigmas that goes towards it. Um, I literally was just having a conversation the other day, which was crazy because I was talking about how, um, how people react to hurt and you have some people that, you know, are hurt. And so in turn, they hurt people, you know, and it might not even be necessarily intentional. It could, they could just be unaware that they're shitty, you know, because they're just so into, caught up into what they have going on with themselves they can't get past their hurt 
So then because of that, now they're, you know, inflicting that on you because they're hurt. And so literally, you know, when you think about hurts, you know, sometimes we don't always have the capacity to get past some of the things that's affected us, you know, throughout our lives, you know, or sometimes we don't even have the awareness to even realize that you are, you have hurt from this, you know, that maybe you haven't fully processed and now you're doing these things to other people. And it might be because of something that happened maybe 10 years ago and you might not even realize because you never processed it anyway. You just kept going with what you had going on. So when I'm having this conversation, literally, literally, the person's like, well, I just think that, you know, they're having these issues or they are the way they are because of lack of church. And, you know, I, I, I pause because I'm like, you know, yes, I believe that God is important. You know, God is very prevalent in my home, but at the same time, I think that, you know, people can struggle with mental illness and have issues and, you know, they might actually need, um, help instead of, you know, um, you know, I think prayer helps too, but I think they also might need, you know, a therapist, you know? And so it was just funny because it's like, for me and, you know, with me being black and just growing up, you know, in a black community, like you, it, you kind of, they kind of shy away from, you know, going to speak to a therapist or they feel like they can't afford it or they might not be able to afford it. Or, you know, they're, they've never been talked to about it. A lot of times what people don't realize, even, even with like my job, you know, my job offers for free five therapy sessions that you can go to for free. All you do is just call and you can say that you're struggling with whatever. And they literally find you people that you like a list of therapists for, for what you're experiencing. Let's say you're experiencing stress. Like they find you therapists that specialize like in stress or trauma or whatever. And then they give you a list. So with the list, then you can go through and you can look the people, you look the people up that they, that support the program. And then you can find, um, a therapist that, that you want to speak to. Um, and then you can go from there and they give you five free and, you know, and we have benefits towards mental health, but a lot of people don't even one. I've realized a lot of people don't know how to read their insurance. And a lot of people don't know even with their job, what their job offer, because you'll be surprised that, um, what your job may offer you and what you, what help you may can get for free. Um, it's, it's out there. It's just that if no one ever talked to you about it or no one ever made made you see, made you feel that it was important, then you might not realize that, you know, this might be something that you look into. And so a lot of times, even with that, um, I think it's a trust factor and I think it's a, it's a lack of, uh, conversation towards it, you know, cause I think, um, we always think we can fix everything even for myself. Like I, I definitely think that I'm probably one of the strongest people out there. And I think that I can fix everything by just making a plan or making goals and, you know, putting my thoughts into this or, or changing my perspective over here with this. But sometimes, you know, you just might need somebody to talk to, whether it's for you coming up with a solution or maybe just for you in general, just having somebody to talk to. Cause some days I don't have any, any issues going on. It's just nice to have, you know, someone just to talk to outside of like, you know, cause sometimes you talk to your friends, you talk to your family I literally was trying to have a conversation the other day with my mom about, um, 
how I, I literally how I felt about in this bathing suit, right? So we're having this whole conversation about how I felt that I, I just didn't look great in this bathing suit, and I probably looked maybe I look fine, but I felt like my mom's always going to be biased because my mom. So of course she's never going to say, "Girl, you look tragic in that bathing suit." And that's kind of how I think about it with relationships. Like sometimes we don't always have those friends that might shoot to you straight. So you might you might have friends that might always tell you what you want to hear. So if if that's the only people that you talk to, you know, people that's always there to stroke you, well, do you really think that you're getting the best care for yourself mentally and everything else from just talking to people that's always going to agree with you? Like I love talking to my brother-in-law because he, you know, sometimes he agrees with me, but then sometimes he don't. And we actually can have conversations and we are fine with agreeing to, dis- to disagree. And we both have our own opinions and thought processes towards it. But we actually sit and have conversations about why they feel that way, why I feel this way. And it's actually really nice because you don't always want to be with people that only that, that feel the same way you feel, think the same things you think. Because I don't really feel like you can grow as a person that way. Personally, that's that's what I think. But let's go back to some more facts. So when you start treatment early and play a strong role in your own recovery process, you can live a full and successful life. Culturally competent care can improve access to and quality of treatment and services. This means better outcomes. So I have some tips to finding a culturally competent provider. And I thought some of this stuff, actually, some of these points were actually pretty good. Um, And it's funny because when I first looked at mine and I found my therapist, I didn't consider, I didn't consider some of these. And so, but when I had conversations, when when I went to therapy and I talked about what it was I was trying to um, accomplish, um, you know, and that that I've never, you know, that I never had therapy and all that. And so I did have some conversations, you know, with my therapist about um, what we were trying to get out of this experience with each other. Sometimes we still have those conversations and I've been in therapy for a while now where it's like, you know, um, different areas that I feel like I want to I want to work on, whether it could be areas with my family or it could be areas with myself. You know, it it changes. I don't go to therapy and talk about the same exact things every time. Like, you know, I could be walking down, I can be walking down the street and uh, get a feeling about something that I literally will jot down and be like, oh, you know, I want to discuss this for later or, say, or save this for later. You know, and I like that I have uh, really great therapists, actually, that know that I'm like, you know, we might continue on when I come in. Or, you know, we're going to pause that and go here, but we always come back, you know, or keep building on some of the things that we are kind of trying to address. Or if it's a moment that we're looking for some kind of direct solution, like they're very direct on what, what, what are you trying to do? Like, what is, what are you trying to accomplish? And what are you going to do to get there? You know, what do you need to, what needs to be done? You know, and when and when say you fall or say you don't do something that you're supposed to be doing, like, okay, so what are you going to do to fix it? And how can you fix it in the future? Or how can you stop these behaviors from happening? And I I, I like that. And that's why for me, my my relationship with my therapist worked for me. And, you know, I'm going to go over some tips with finding you a a good, you know, um, good therapist for you. But I also believe that it's nothing wrong with, um, hopping around and if you say have a few sessions with a person that you just feel like you just totally don't vibe with and it's not 
um, making you feel any better? Because, I mean, every every time I leave therapy, I feel better. Me personally. Like, it's some days that I might leave and I'm like, you know, I have things on my mind, but I still leave feeling better about everything, really. It puts me in a good mood, you know, because some days I might go in there and I just yell for an hour and I feel great after, you know, just having a, a, a safe space to release and you're not worrying about hurting somebody's feelings and you're not worrying about, you know, saying something wrong or whatever. And, uh, you know, for me, it makes me feel better. But I, but I think that if I had a therapist that every time I left, I didn't really have a connection with them, but I didn't really feel like I had a trust with them either. And I felt like basically I didn't like the experience. I wouldn't give up. I would just look for another one. So if I had any advice when it comes to that, um, because I actually have had people tell me, oh, well, I went, I didn't like it, so I quit. Well, it could be honestly that the person that you went to might not have been a good person for you. So that's when you need to go and look for somebody else. And that's the best advice that if I was to give in regards to that, that I can give. But so it gives three tips on how to find a culturally competent provider. It says to research providers, which is important, ask providers um, certain questions, and then it gives you a whole list of other things that you can do as well. So the first one, so you can, when you're researching providers, you can contact providers or agencies from your same cultural background or look for, for providers and agencies that have worked with people who have similar cultural backgrounds. Ask trusted friends and families for recommendations Look online and ask for referral, referrals from cultural organizations in your community. And if you have health insurance, you can ask your, your health plan for providers that fit your cultural background. Um, for me, uh, I have two therapists that I go to consistently. Uh, one, I mainly go as a couple, um, and she's black. And I have one that I go to individually. She's white, but our demographics is completely the same. And so we actually are very similar with uh, the only thing that we're not similar on literally is the color of our skin, but everything else we're similar. So we, we connect in a different way because we are under like the same umbrella over here. And then my couple therapist who's black, we connect on a different level because we're on a different umbrella over there, but both of them, um, fit me and they fit, uh, you know, what I personally have going on. So, um, it doesn't necessarily mean color, uh, when you think about culture, cause it could be, um, other aspects of your life to where that person can connect. So that's just something also that I like to just throw out there. Um, cause some people prefer same, you know, same race and there's nothing wrong with that, but just things to consider. So you can also, ask. um, they have some questions here that you can also ask, are you familiar with my community's beliefs, values, attitudes toward mental health? If not, are you willing to learn about my cultural background and respect my perspective? Do you have experience treating people from my cultural background? Are you, are you or your members of staff bilingual if, if that was needed? And how would you include aspects of my cultural identity, such as age, faith, gender identity, or sexual orientation in my care? 
And like I stated, like, I think those, I think these are actually really good questions because you want to make sure that you're comfortable with the person that you're talking to. You know, one, you're spending money to go. And two, if you're really struggling with something that you want to get the, the best care, you know, you should go. I knew this lady and I knew someone that was going to, that was going to therapy. And, and this lady, I, I honestly think was a believer of putting people on medication. Like she, you know, that's what she did. And for me, like, I'm not really somebody that, you know, I feel like if you need it, obviously take it. But I also believe that, you know, I would like to do stuff before, you know, just jumping straight into medication if I can. And so, you know, she just was a person that wanted to just medicate first for everything. And I just, you know, I just didn't agree. And so, you know, if that was me picking a counselor, she obviously wouldn't have been a counselor from, for me, you know? So that's just, that's just things to consider. So I think it's nothing wrong with uh, asking questions, especially on the first couple of times you go because you're kind of getting to know each other and kind of going over a game plan with what you want to accomplish and all of that. And I think sometimes it's nothing wrong with circling back, like I said earlier, and rehabbing those conversations because shit changes and stuff in your life is going to change every day. And it could be something that pop up that day that you want to talk about, you know, and it might not be part of what you might've been there for originally. It's plenty of times I go to therapists and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this today. And then 10 minutes before, you know, or walking into the building, something happens. And then that's what I spent the whole time talking about. And, and it's cool. It's fine. So I think they also put down here that you should also tell the provider about traditions, values, and beliefs that are, that are important to you. Tell the provider what role you want your family to play in your treatment. Learn about your condition, particularly how it affects people from your culture or community. And uh, look around the provider's office for signs of inclusion. Who works there? Does the waiting room have magazines, signs, and pamphlets for you and your community? So I actually thought that this um, this little write-up uh, with finding the culturally competent provider was actually really, really good. And, and um, those are some of those things I actually didn't consider. But thankfully um, for me, like I actually have a situation that works really well for me. But I have definitely seen, you know, like I stated before, that um, you can have situations where you need to hop around if need be, you know, until you find the person that you connect with or you vibe with, because you might not vibe with everyone. And so I think it's important to keep having these conversations, um, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Uh, When I get with some of my sorority sisters and we go out for dinner um, we have conversations like this all the time because some of them are, you know, guidance counselors or they're social workers and, and they work in or they're counselors, therapists, and they work in these fields where they're, you know, working with whether it's children or adults, but different m- mental, you know, um, situations. And it's interesting. And and I think it's important to keep increasing those conversations and keep having them, you know, to where to where it becomes more of a norm. And people don't it, like to me, I feel like it's mental health is starting to become less of a taboo conversation to a certain degree. But I think it's also because of it's being talked about a lot more. But I do th- still think that it's a lot of work to be done as far as awareness and just getting into the communities, especially underrepresented communities, low income communities who may, you know, not ever be introduced to that aspect you know because 
There's a lot of therapy that you can get for free, you know, um, and it's a lot of, and it's a lot of therapy that's actually out there that's available and programs that's available that, that goes towards mental health that you just have to just, you know, do, you know, maybe do a little research to dig around for it, but it's there that that's free. So, you know, um, so with this, I think we just need to just continue, continue the conversations, um, continue to work on ourselves, be better for ourselves. And also, you know, be open and honest about if you're having any experiences where you're sad or anything that you feel like you're struggling with, even if it's, if it's grief, you know, if you experience a death or, you know, you feel like now you're kind of feeling like, oh, you know, I have some hurt here, whether it was with a breakup or just relationships with friends, relationships with family, you know, um, my hope with this episode is that, you know, you take that in consideration and anytime that you're doing, um, you know, any good for yourself or increasing or trying to increase like your mental health, you know, that's definitely wealth and, um, it's only going to make you better. And also, you know, it's going to make you a better person, a better, if you're a parent, it's going to make you a better parent. It's going to make you a better partner to the person that you with. It's going to make you a better family member. It's going to make you a better friend, but you also got to be open to the process. And that's the second most important thing I've said on this whole podcast today is that, um, you can go to therapy all you want, but if you're not open to the process and open to what someone has to say about you, cause I think the hardest thing is hearing somebody say, yeah, like the realness of you, you know, and you have to be able to process that. And if you're one of those people that can't take or never take accountability or never take somebody saying something about you to where you can say, okay, well, that may be true. Or, you know, okay, I can see it in that way. Instead of just saying, oh, well, that's not true. Oh, well, no, no, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, you're probably not going to get what you need out of therapy. And so, um, you know, definitely be open to the process. Be open to um, the fact that every day is not going to be rosy. Every day you go to therapy, it's not going to be an easy day. There's been plenty of times that I've cried the whole session, you know, looking crazy when I leave. And it's okay because I'm not a big crier and it takes a lot for me to cry. So, which means I probably have like years of crying pent up that probably needs to come out. And some days they do, you know, some days they, they, it comes out. And at first, you know, to be honest with you, when I first started therapy, it was the most uncomfortable shit ever like crying in front of a stranger for me, you know, and now, you know, I still don't necessarily like to do it, but you know, my therapist like, go ahead and let it come and feel it and just go through it. And to me, like, that's what makes therapy good for me is because, you know, you don't always have to be strong. Sometimes, you know, it's nothing wrong with just letting it all out, you know, and just having a safe space to do it there. And, and, and it feels safe doing it. And so for me, you know, that's what, um, that's what I pretty much get out of therapy. And it's really helped me a lot just with processing and feeling better, you know, about myself, you know, and feeling better about my relationships and continue to want to grow and be better. So I hope, uh, you know, there's something to think about when you leave this, um, 
this episode, but also, you know, let's continue the conversations. I'm always open to share stories or continue talking about it. So definitely leave feedback, you know, comment on SoundCloud if you like. Um, You can also follow my Instagram page. Um, It's just my thoughts underscore the podcast. uh, If you want to continue having a conversation about it and, you know, I implore you to do that in your community as well or with other people and just continue the conversation and narrative. So, you know, mental health awareness can be more of a normal reality for everyone. Um, So I thank you so much for listening today. And don't forget, you can follow me, subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Um, So you can definitely follow me there. So leave feedback if you like. Um, You can hit me on Instagram at it's just my thoughts um, underscore the podcast. But I thank you so much for listening. It's Mika here and I appreciate you.